The future of work and the future for workers is changing. From new technologies and talent strategies to the management of tomorrow's workforce. Tap in to Manpower Group Talent Solutions' 60 years of expertise and join us for the Transform Talent podcast, your guide to talent market trends, new technologies, and winning talent solutions. Hi. Welcome to this very first episode of the Transform Talent Podcast. These are your hosts, Roberta Cucchiaro and Dominica Gausa. We are really excited to bring you along with us on this fascinating journey, exploring what the future of work looks like and how we can make it better for our employees and ourselves as well. We will try to think outside of the box and bring you new perspectives on the latest trends. In this first episode of the Transform Talent podcast, Roberta and myself will focus on how employees can cope with and adapt to working in the new normal. We will be discussing this new reality, the rise of flexibility, the challenges employees face by having had to move their offices to their homes, and how this is impacting productivity, work-life balance, emotional well-being, as well as career progression. We will spend some extra time discussing the impact working from home has on women's careers, as well as the importance of trust and transparency from employers in a world where health, safety, and well-being need to come first when returning to the workplace. So we are all witnessing this transformation in a way or another, but I think we can all agree that this crisis can be a catalyst for a new future of work that is more flexible, more diverse, and more well-being oriented than we could have ever imagined. So a future that is much closer to what workers have wanted all along. Do you remember when we used to have to insist so much to be allowed to work from home and in certain workplaces, it wasn't even an option? Oh yes, in some companies you had to stay two hours longer one day if you wanted to leave two hours earlier the other day. Yeah, and then all of a sudden office employees across the world were asked to work from home without a choice, even those whose jobs are really difficult to do from home. So I remember seeing an interview with the NASA scientists responsible for controlling the Curiosity rover that's exploring the surface on Mars, and they are doing that from home. It's just unbelievable, right? Yeah, that was unthinkable a few months ago. Yeah, and now we are seeing the likes of Facebook, Google and Airbnb extending their work from home policies until July 2021, while other companies are starting to encourage their employees to go back to the office. So no doubt there will be more flexibility, but companies need to ensure employees are comfortable in this new flexibility. Manpower Group recently released the new What Workers Want report, in which we asked more than 8,000 people in eight countries about the future of, for workers. We're going to mention some of the findings in this episode. So, for example, workers are worried about losing that flexibility they have now gained, with 43% believing this is the end of the 9 to 5 office life, and more than 50% are happy about this shift preferring the two, three days a week in the workplace. But what I think is really key is that eight in 10 have emphasized that they want a better work-life balance in the future. 
And being forced to work from home doesn't automatically translate into a better work-life balance because many of us brought their offices to their living rooms, like for example, where I am now, kitchens, bedrooms, and it is much harder to switch off and say no to late calls, for example, when you're working from home all the time. And not just those two, three days a week when you can actually boost the motivation and productivity. It is not surprising that the younger generation, Gen Zs, many of them living alone or flat sharing, are the ones more positive about returning to the workplace. While the millennials, often the young parents in our workforce, are the ones more concerned. Employers need to make sure that employees are not burning out, that they can actually have that flexibility to separate work and home, which also means flexible scheduling. However, we can see this work-from-home flexibility paradox where we attend more meetings, send more emails, and work longer hours. Harvard Business School has recently released results of the study showing increases by 12.9% in the number of meetings per person and increases in length of the average workday of 48.5 minutes, and that's almost an hour. Moreover, According to the What Workers Want report, more than 30% of workers now have to be teachers, employees, and caregivers while working longer days. Thus, our way of working has changed, and the ability to separate work from home is impacting employee mental health, productivity, and motivation. With great pleasure and no better person to do this with rather than our very first guest, Tomas Chamorro Premuzic. Tomas, he's, uh, he's our chief talent scientist at Manpower Group. He joined in 2018 and is responsible for leading the center of excellence for assessment and analytics, developing data-driven solutions and insights to create new value for clients and candidates by driving predictable performance. He's a very well-known international expert in business psychology, people analytics, and talent management. He's a professor of business psychology at UCL, the University College London, and a visiting professor at Columbia University in New York. He has released three TED Talks, written 150 scientific papers and 10 books, including his latest book and really interesting read, Why Do So Many Incompetent Men Become Leaders? Welcome, Thomas. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Thank you for having me. No, it's our pleasure. So, Thomas, we have a question. Humans are social creatures and we were forced to do what we're biologically meant not to do, to isolate at home and at work. What are your thoughts about the impact working from home is having on employee psychological well-being and mental health and what does it mean for organizations? Look, it's a very big question and uh, I think uh, the only rational and objective answer is that um, it depends, you know, it varies a lot from person to person and we have to take into account not just deep and uh, kind of a, sort of a big psychological forces that are at play, um, but also the circumstances that people and organizations are in. Having said that, you know, I think humanity has risen to the challenge in an amazing way. You know, if, if you told me six months ago or eight months ago that overnight we will be forced to shut down the offices and go into our bedrooms or homes and work and lose, 
in-person contact with our colleagues, bosses, clients, and that it would last for many, many months. And yet we would manage to stay almost as productive and in some instances more productive and enjoy work even more. It's incredible, you know? So I think, you know, the interesting paradox here is that yes, on the one hand, this is a profoundly unnatural phenomena and request given our biology and our need for in-person connectedness with others. On the other hand, one of the fundamental, if not the most important quality that humans have is incredible adaptability. And, you know, there's a reason why we've always relied on technology to do work in a more effective and efficient way. And although when people created Zoom and Microsoft Teams and Slack and collaboration software and emails, they were not planning for a pandemic, uh, all these technologies have allowed us to remain socially and emotionally connected even while in physical isolation. So I think it's amazing, you know, of course, most people I think would want to have the option to recover some of the old normalcy and meet people in person and gossip and go for a drink and have dinner. And I think some of it is coming back, but maybe not immediately with the degree that we had it. And so, you know, we have to stay resilient, stay adaptable and understand that that is probably our most important and strongest human quality, adaptability. Okay, so um, we talked about mental health and well-being in a workplace. According to Accenture, it's actually a challenging topic to rise. 59% of employees in small companies and 24% uh, of employees in large organizations uh, in the UK alone don't talk openly about this in their workplace. They're also increasingly turning to trusted technology tools to help them maintain a healthy mind. In such uncertain times, strong remote leadership, transparent, frequent communication, and a culture that is fit for the hybrid work and accessible well-being support seems to be a key. Tell me, how can leaders support their employees during this difficult time uh, and increase employee trust to talk openly about their mental health, which can also lead to higher motivation and engagement? Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to understand that uh, although the crisis has emphasized change and discontinuity and in some instances disrupted a lot of you know, the status quo, including conversations that managers or leaders can have with their employees and direct reports. Fundamentally, the essence of being a good manager or a good leader hasn't changed. You know, trust and transparency are still the most important currencies here. When uh, not so long ago, we were talking about our model of digital leadership and we explained that probably just 20% of the qualities that leaders need to have to be future ready are more or less new or novel and 80% things like empathy, competence, social skills, humility, self-awareness were always there. Uh, it is also true that the crisis has emphasized or highlighted just how important these foundational attributes of leadership are. And you know, the big challenge for bosses and managers today is to do empathy and show that they're kind and caring and tune in to their team's kind of mindset, including their mental and physical well-being in a virtual mode, which is very, very sterile and cold and, you know, doesn't lend itself. You know, you can't hug people. There are emoji to hug people, but it's not the same as a real hug. And let's face it, now we can't even 
hug each other or get close to each other when we see each other. So I think, you know, it's more challenging to do it now, but, you know, there are more tools to do it now as well. And I think what we're seeing is that it's no longer enough for a manager or a leader to be naturally emotionally intelligent and have great charisma or people skills and connect with others because they need to be doing it over Zoom or Teams and use tools. So we have bet before the crisis started on one of our main kind of uh, uh, technological innovations, which is a coaching platform, Right Coach, that actually uh, democratizes coaching and produces virtual coaching on demand personalizing and customizing people's actual career needs or personal needs to the right coach with the right level of expertise and experience. Again, we did it not thinking, not planning for a global epidemic, but what you can see now is that coaching has a whole new dimension because people have to ask for help when in the past they didn't and they need to boost their resilience they need to manage you know uh work life or work and personal commitments in a new way combine you know all their activities and actually even cope with loneliness in a way that they didn't have to before you know so i always tell my psychology students that although the job market might be tougher over the next few months than it was last year they can be sure that the world will need more coaches, more psychologists, and organizations will need more professional help because we are at a vulnerable point in time, you know, when it comes to managing ourselves and managing others. So, you know, my colleague Ermina Ibarra has written a lot about the leader as a coach, and it's an interesting perspective because I think before leaders were domain-specific experts who told you what to do and they had power and authority, in the last five or 10 years, we have asked managers and leaders to actually become mentors and coaches. And, you know, we also have great programs of mentorship where we pair people with right mentors and leaders as coaches within organizations. But let's not kid ourselves. We cannot expect the majority of leaders to become actual coaches, which is why virtual and online coaching platforms are really, really so important. And I think this idea that coaching was something exclusively uh, deployed with the executive or senior leadership sector is nonsensical. You know, first of all, if you're very, very old and senior as a leader, you're harder to coach by definition and you're going to be stuck in your own ways. And, you know, it's going to be much, much harder to persuade you to be someone else. So the younger you are, the more coachable you are. And actually, it's when you're young that we need to develop your full potential and we need to start early. You know, in sports, people know this, but in the corporate world, we're just beginning to understand it. So I think, you know, there is a big, big trend to democratize coaching and actually personalize it to people's needs, which is what Right Coach is all about. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think especially now it's so important to, to be near our colleagues, our employees, right? To just um, feel that we are there. So, but what about the impact this is having on women? So while men's health might be more impacted by the crisis, women will be impacted longer term by the economic and social crisis. So allowing work from home without changing anything else about corporate culture may be a distinct disadvantage for women as compared to their male colleagues. So how can we ensure working from home also works for women and that they're not left behind in this next normal? I think the first thing is to understand that the technology on its own won't 
solve your people management issues. You know, every organization in the world has access to the same technology. It's a bit like saying, okay, we have email. Well, so does everyone else. Email in itself as a technology doesn't make you take good decisions. Is what do you think, what do you say, when you say it, who you say it. And so, you know, the same applies to all these tools that have enabled us to work virtually and remotely. So here, you know, I think it's an interesting confliction or convergence of two separate and maybe contradictory forces that we see colliding. On the one hand, there is no question that higher flexibility and uh, less presentism and less politicking, I mean, you know, the, the dark or toxic side of politics that involves showing off and pretending that you're working, faking good, managing up and sucking up to your boss, all things that, you know, get people promoted, but historically men have been better at or more focused on, you know, it's a lot harder to pretend that you're working when everyone is remote. It's a lot harder to show off and, uh, you know, suck up to authority when everyone is virtual. You can't, you know, it's too blatant to do it on a, on a virtual conferencing meeting, etc. So if you think about all these things, it should be a gender balancing kind of a force or a leveler. You know, it should allow a more balanced or level playing field where people are judged more for what they produce and what they do and less for managing impressions and appearances. But we should also not be naive because what happens when you change things and when you introduce technologies is that people quickly adapt to, you know, exploiting the gaps or white spaces or, you know, back channels to actually leverage or utilize the same informal and toxic forces. And there are some figures that are a little bit concerning also when you think that working from home has had a disproportionately negative effect on women's um, kind of increased duties and tasks and their requirements to balance, you know, home and work activities. And also some data that shows that when uh, companies try to move to a hybrid working model and they open the office but you don't have to be there, the first to return are men, not just because they want to avoid um, you know, parenting duties or they're fed up of being at home and I'm generalizing here, right? But it does happen more often than with women. Um, but also because they see an opportunity to exploit uh, politics by being in the office. And the big problem here is that if you say we're moving to a hybrid model and you can work from wherever you are, but I'm your boss and I'm in, you're going to feel pressure to be in. And you're going to be, you know, probably disadvantaged for not being in the right place at the right time. Imagine you're having a meeting, a board or leadership meeting, and half of the people are dialing in and the other half are in person. Well, you can see how the ones that are in person are going to arrive a little bit earlier, make jokes, gossip, make, take decisions, you know, uh, leverage what in-person meetings are for and disadvantage those that are dialing in from outside. So I'm hopeful that organizations will step up to this challenge and actually use the opportunity to decontaminate their culture from politics and actually um, use technology for good, which means, you know, moving past a culture of presentism and actually learning to evaluate what people contribute to their teams and the organization. But this requires some thinking and some effort, you know, and, you know, there's no reason to think that companies that could have done it before are suddenly going to do it. So this is why, again, you know, 
organizations need help from human capital experts and consulting and advisory uh, firms like ours so that they can actually restructure their uh, performance appraisal systems and their management processes to actually turn a kind of forced change situation into a real plus and unlock human potential regardless of gender. That's absolutely right. And like you mentioned, there is the risk of the rise of a new form of presenteeism too. So the lack of face-to-face networking could have a lasting negative effect on the entry-level roles in particular. There isn't anymore that coffee break during which you used to bump into a senior colleague, an executive with whom you have that chat that maybe in a year or two leads to a promotion. So that does not exist anymore. You need to schedule calls to speak with senior colleagues or executives. There has to be a reason, a work reason. So working from home will impact differently the different generations and how companies encourage interaction and virtual networking will be key. So how do you think working from home is affecting promotions and networking opportunities? And what are the risks we are facing, especially in the younger generation with this rise of a new form of presenteeism? And how can we avoid it? So I think, you know, most of the changes are enabled or not through leadership. So, you know, it's essential that companies continue to invest in leadership development and leadership training, particularly of mid-level managers. Even if you were a good manager before, you probably need to learn something. And this is like a crash course now on how to leverage digital tools to actually manage people. Again, there are wonderful opportunities. Imagine the opportunities to enable everyone to participate in a virtual meeting and put some structure in so that not one person is mansplaining everything and there is a distributed kind of uh, balancing of opinions and feedback and you can if you're shy and you don't want to talk you can post messages etc you can use kind of survey feedback the opportunities are great and actually although young people might miss or younger people might miss the in-person connection because let's face it that's one of the wonderful things of starting a career is the social life that comes with it Um, They are also very skilled and uh, smart with technology. So I think, you know, the real opportunity is for older, more senior managers and leaders to learn from their employees as to how they can use these tools to actually, um, you know, manage better. And again, you know, what we found in most of our clients when we work with them to see how mature they are from a digital standpoint and where they are on the people side of digital transformation is that they all have the same tools, you know, but the difference between having the tools and actually leveraging them is a question of leadership and management skills and preparedness, you know? And so I think, you know, there has never been a better time to sort of, uh, you know, unlock the curiosity that managers and leaders have to expand and broader, broaden their leadership and management skills. And that involves using technology because actually if you use technology well, it can unlock a very humane and strong aspect of the workforce, you know? In a way, you know, that's really the opportunity that this crisis has brought because most companies had the technologies but they were reluctant to use it. Now when we're forced to do it and we're looking at technology being an enabler for the longer term, I think is going to be revolutionary and the change is going to last for a long time. 
So um, to sum up what you said and what we wrote in our What Workers Want report, returning to the workplace, building trust in your workforce, allowing for more flexibility, flexible scheduling, leveraging technology, well, and understanding the priorities that your employees uh, have to balance in order to get their work done. And these are all elements organizations will have to consider in the next few months. Um, Stay-at-home restrictions have required companies to hold more and more virtual meetings, as you said. And while the pandemic is not over yet, some countries have started reopening the borders and some are imposing new restrictions. And that also might uh, mean international client meetings for some of us uh, this year. And there are mixed views about it, and there could be a stigma around it. And tell me, how can we adapt to this new business reality? Well, you know, the only answer is that we have to adapt, Mm -hmm. you know, and adaptation is always a relative phenomenon. So it might never be perfect, but... Uh, we have to adapt. Everyone has to adapt better than their competitors. And, you know, that's, the, that's going to be adaptability is going to be the biggest competitive advantage, I think, that organizations and leaders have. At the end of the day, it's always a matter of leadership. And, you know, crises are fundamentally an opportunity to lead. We always have leaders, even when times are good. But when times are good, you can get away with being a sloppy leader, not showing too much you know, empathy, not connecting with others, and just managing your career. Whereas now, you have people really hungry for good leadership, and that's why we're seeing bad leadership exposed more than in when times are good, and we can all ride the same wave. Um, I read an interesting article today in Harvard Business Review that had a wonderful quote that says, the ability to learn faster than your competitors might be your only sustainable competitive advantage. So all you have to do is learn faster than your competitors. We've been talking about learnability for some time now, and now you can see why it's so important, because if you don't have the humility, the self-criticism, and the intelligence to structure problems as problems that enable you to get some data and realize if you're doing things right or wrong, you're going to make mistakes more often than your competitors, you know? So I think that's what we mean really by being data-driven as well, is find out how to test your hypotheses, your assumptions, never stop to experiment, and have the humility to admit when you're wrong. And then, you know, you're probably going to be better off than your competitors. That's something that we are asking now employees to do. But fundamentally, we need to ask leaders and managers to do this because they're leading by example. And good leaders solve and manage crises well, whereas bad leaders tend to create the crisis, you know. So there has never been a stronger need in the world of business and in the world for good, strong leadership. Yeah, absolutely. And I think so the, the key here we can all agree on is that we, we just need to listen to the workers and our employees, see what they want. And um, well, this has been a really, really good conversation. I'm really glad we organized it. And just before we go, a million dollar question and something that I had to ask to an expert in psychology. I just could not not do it. If you were stranded on, the, on an island, what were the three things that you would bring? Well, firstly, you know, 
whenever people ask you a million dollar questions, I have never received a single dollar for answering them. So it's a little bit, you know, I'm approaching this with uh, low expectations, right? But, uh, you know, I think uh, if it's three things, the rest of my family is probably what I could bring. You know, more than a book, even Wi-Fi or, you know, or my smartphones, because there's four of us. So, you know, uh, 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 family first, as the saying goes, and uh, I'll see there. But you're also, Roberta, reminding me to ask our audience to consult the full findings and overview of our results of our What Workers Want survey, because... So many people are talking about what employees and leaders should have and what they want without asking them. And we actually bothered asking them. And if you pay attention to what people say they want, you're often going to find critical answers as to what they actually need as well. And in this instance, it's absolutely clear, as you pointed out, that they want more flexibility, more freedom, and not just the ability to trust their managers, but to have them trust them, you know, have managers and leaders that actually trust them and not micromanage them and are on their backs constantly, you know. So I think technology can be a wonderful enabler for productivity, engagement and performance, but it has to be powered by trust. And, you know, it's tricky for leaders to build trust out of the blue if they didn't have it before, but there's just no excuse for not trying, you know. So there has never, never been a stronger need to build and nurture that human and humane connection between managers and employees. Leadership is all about that. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining our very first episode of the Transform Talent Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast listening app and leave us a review. See you at the next episode. The Transform Talent Podcast, because we know the right talent transforms organizations and helps your business flourish. Talent Solutions, Business and Talent Aligned.